Hello, my zebras and spoonies. Thanks for coming and visiting with me today. I am glad that you are here. Today, I want to talk about why our nurses are leaving the field and why we can't attract new nurses into the field because this is creating an unsustainable healthcare setting. There have been problems plaguing the healthcare system for the entire 20 years that I have been working as a nurse and for the years that I worked as a CNA before that. COVID has made many of those problems worse, but none of them are new. But we are reaching the point where changes have to be made soon or things are going to start falling apart. One of the biggest problems that our healthcare system faces is that we don't have enough nurses. If we don't address this problem soon, there simply will be no one available to take care of the sick, injured, and dying in this country. What needs to happen in order to retain the nurses that we have and to recruit new nurses? We need better incentives to work in the healthcare setting. The work environment in healthcare right now is beyond toxic. The environment is unsafe. The, the staff working in healthcare are not properly supported or properly cared for. And we need to address these things if we want people to work in this setting. Increased pay. When talking about how to retain and recruit nurses, the issue of how much nurses are paid is almost always the first thing to be brought up. Yes, nurses and healthcare staff need to be paid more than they are currently being paid. A CNA who is responsible for the health and well-being of your mother should be paid more than someone that's bagging your groceries. That's a real problem, but it's far from the biggest problem because the truth is that nurses and CNAs have kept working through a lot of crap, even though we have never been paid what the job is worth. That clearly demonstrates that pay isn't what is making nurses leave now. However, asking us nurses to deal with everything that we're dealing with and not giving a fair wage on top of that is beyond insulting. So yes, increasing our pay would help retain the nurses that we have in that it might make us feel and believe that we are being valued. We need emotional support. One of the biggest reasons that healthcare workers are leaving the field is because of burnout. What that really means is that there are no resources for emotional and mental health support. We can't go home and talk about our day without actually breaking the law. HIPAA requires that we not talk about a patient's death or the patient that had a leg amputated. But these kinds of events have a very real impact on our emotional status. We go into healthcare as a profession because we want to help people and we care about people. When you see other people suffering every day, it causes you to hurt too. That's part of the price that we have to pay for being a nurse. I don't know the number of times that I have cried for my patients or became angry on their behalf because of the situations that they're finding themselves in. There is no way that we can completely emotionally remove ourselves from the people that we care for. And would you really want us to? I mean, after all, it is this caring and this compassion for others that allows us to be great in the field of nursing. But that same trait also makes us vulnerable to being injured emotionally by the things that are happening to our patients. Healthcare workers need emotional support now more than ever with all that COVID has brought. 
There are so many nurses that are struggling with PTSD from having had so many of their patients die in less than ideal conditions. Many have had to make very difficult triage choices that decided who got a vent and who died. That's insanely difficult to deal with. And there are no services that nurses can call upon. The employee assistance programs are so limited and that they in what they offer emotionally, then it renders them completely useless. Most are for two counseling sessions a year. That's kind of going to help many nurses with much of anything. The truth is that there isn't much in the way of mental health services in general in this country, let alone any that are particularly designed to be helpful to healthcare workers who are trying to tackle the emotional demands that we are facing in this current work setting. We must reduce the violence. Nurses and CNAs need a safer environment to work in. When we look at the statistics on the assault-related injuries for nurses, it tells a huge story. When looking at the causes of injuries in the workplace, we see that 12.7 out of 10,000 of the injuries nurses received were caused by violence. That may not seem like many, but let's put that into perspective. When you look at all other occupations combined, the rate is 3.8 per 10,000. That means that nurses are injured from violent events three times more often than every other occupation combined. Nurses are assaulted more often than police officers. Nurses are assaulted more often than bouncers at bars. Nurses are assaulted more often than the guards working in our prisons. Think about how completely insane that is. And the problem is only getting worse. The number of nurses getting assaulted has been steadily increasing for years. And to be clear, it is not just nurses. All healthcare workers are at risk for this violence, and it is unacceptable. How can you expect to retain staff when they are being punched, kicked, spit on, yelled at, threatened, called names, and having things thrown at them? I honestly cannot tell you the number of times that I personally have been assaulted during my career. The number is too many for me to even recall. I do know that I have had to have surgery because I was assaulted by a patient. I had wrist surgery after a patient grabbed and twisted my arm. I do know that I have had a broken bone because I was assaulted by a patient. I was shoved down hard against the floor and it broke my tailbone. I've been punched in the face more than once. And this is the environment that you are trying to retain people in. Is it really a mystery that people don't want to work in a setting where violence is a daily event? And yes, it is daily. It is a rare shift that I go my entire 12 hours without somebody verbally or physically abusing me. And that's not to mention all the times that I have been groped, which is also almost a daily event. Why would anyone want to continue to work in that kind of setting? 
The thing that is most disgusting about the level of violence directed at nurses and CNAs is the complete lack of action that is taken. When a patient hits me, I am asked what I could have done differently to have avoided having been assaulted. Nothing like victim blaming. How about we start actually charging people with assault when they hit nurses and CNAs? Because the truth is that many of these people are completely aware of what they are doing and simply know that they are going to get away with it. Nurses are a pretty safe victim. Most nurses won't report being assaulted because it means more paperwork and no improvement in the situation. The assaulted nurse will continue to care for the patient that assaulted them. And few of these patients will ever face charges. It is rare for hospitals to provide staff with panic buttons that they can push in the event that they are being assaulted. And when these buttons are available, they are often used for selected cases where the patient has already hurt someone. That's not a good prevention measure. Any prevention step that requires somebody getting hurt before it is used is simply not good enough. Could you imagine that mentality be used in construction and manufacturing? The technology exists. It should be a standard that every healthcare worker in every healthcare setting has a panic button as part of their required uniform. Every healthcare worker should be provided self-defense training by their employer, regardless of the setting. It should also become the standard that healthcare staff are allowed to protect themselves with equal or lesser force when they are being assaulted, regardless who the patient is or what their healthcare status is. Just because someone has dementia doesn't mean that a nurse should not be allowed to protect themselves from their assault. If a person with dementia attacked me on the street, I would face no punishment for defending myself. Yet we are expected to leave that right for personal safety at the door when we clock in. We give police officers guns, tasers, and training to protect themselves. Yet a nurse is more likely to be assaulted than a police officer, and nurses are not even given basic self-defense training as a professional standard. This, this is why we cannot keep nurses. We cannot keep nurses because we don't keep our nurses safe. We need to reduce the stress. Nurses need a less stressful work environment. It is commonplace for nurses and CNAs to leave their shifts crying. What other profession is this considered all right? Granted, it is a high stakes profession and a lot of the stress cannot be eliminated. Knowing that making a mistake can cost someone their life is a stress that we cannot remove from the job but we could do a lot to make the environment less toxic. Why is the nurse considered the stop point when things don't get done or aren't done correctly? When there are labs ordered and they don't get drawn, people go to the nurse about that. Why is that? Why aren't they talking to the lab staff about why the lab work isn't getting done? When a patient isn't discharged on time, people go to the nurse, even if the reason for the delay is that therapy is still working on getting that patient equipment to go home with. When there's a procedure scheduled for the patient, people go to the nurse. The doctor wrote an order that isn't clear, people go to the nurse. When someone needs something from the doctor, they talk to the primary nurse. Somehow, 
the primary nurse has become expected to make sure that all other disciplines are doing their jobs. This is insanity. We can easily reduce the stress of the nurses by changing the culture to each discipline answering for itself rather than everything going through the primary nurse. Much work has been done in the realm of the healthcare setting being a hostile work environment. While things have improved greatly since I started nursing, there is much work that still needs to be done in this area. We need to continue to address the reality that doctors are not always respectful when they're talking to nurses. We need to help nurses build better coping skills so they're no longer dumping their stress onto each other in the form of complaining, passive aggressive behaviors, work avoidant behaviors, and just general irritability. Because all of that makes healthcare a pretty unpleasant place to work. Our breaks need to happen. During a 12-hour shift, every nurse and every CNA should be getting a full half-hour lunch along with two 15-minute breaks. We are lucky if we're given enough time to one break to use the bathroom. It is essential that we are allowing the healthcare workers to take care of themselves. If we don't, the cost is that they get sick, they burn out, and they stop wanting to work in the field. We need management to make it non-negotiable. We need to stop hearing things like, it depends on the needs of the unit. That's insanity. When the unit is busy is when those breaks are needed the most. We need management to make it a priority to make sure that every nurse and every CNA get every break on every shift. We have to stop expecting healthcare workers to work like they are robots. They are humans and they deserve to have their human needs met while they are at work. And I'm talking about the basics here, getting drinks, going to the bathroom and having something to eat. When we expect nurses to work a 12 hour shift without having anything to eat or anything to drink and without using the bathroom, are you really surprised that they don't wanna work as a nurse? We treat livestock better than that. We must be considerate of nurses' backs. Another important safety factor for nurses is all the patient handling we perform. The truth is that there aren't always the proper devices readily available to make sure that we're doing that lifting safely. When a confused patient is getting up by themselves, we aren't going to go hunting for those devices. We're going to go run into that patient's room and do our best to keep them safe in the moment with whatever we have available. This often leads to nurses and CNAs getting hurt. We need to be better about making the safety equipment readily available. We also need to ensure that we are regularly training nurses and CNAs on how to prevent injuries that occur when we're helping people walk, transfer, or just move in bed. Because the truth is, there is no such thing as a no-lift facility. That is propaganda bullshit. The truth is that not all of these kinds of injuries can be prevented. There will be times that a patient's functional level fluctuates or they stumble, and because we're holding on to them, we can end up injured in those scenarios. So another factor is this is making sure that nurses are getting the proper care that they need when they are injured. 
because these are workman's compensation cases, the focus isn't on making sure that the nurse is getting the best care, but on getting the nurse back to work as soon as possible. Nurses are often finding themselves injured and then getting pressured to be back to work on a regular duty before their bodies are really ready. This has to change. For one, it doesn't create a great environment that people want to stay in. But it also is about making sure that we are keeping our nurses as healthy and as functional as possible so that they can work as nurses for as long as possible. Nurses are hurt twice as often when you're not looking at violent related injuries at work than any other occupation. The most common body part that they injure is their back. And older nurses are also much more likely to become injured than a younger nurse. Yet we still expect an older nurse to work the same way that younger nurses do. It makes perfect sense that someone in their 50s is more likely to sustain an injury than someone in their 20s. This is true in everyday life. Yet we don't allow nurses in their 50s to perform less lifting. There are no work accommodation for age-related risk factors. Working in nursing is all or nothing. Either you can do all the lifting or you can't. If you can't, you can't work as a nurse. And this means that most older nurses simply accept the increased risk for their back injuries. And this just doesn't make sense. Because it is these older nurses that have been in the field for 20 and 30 years that have the most valuable experience and knowledge base that we desperately need to maintain in the work field. Yet we're cutting many of them out because they can no longer lift a 200-pound patient. We are allowing many of them to become injured in ways that lead to disabilities that prevent them from working in the field. We need an environment that acknowledges that not every nurse is built the same and thus cannot do the same amount of lifting. We need work accommodations that acknowledge what our bodies are doing, even if those limitations aren't the result of a work-related injury. We need our job to recognize the value of our experience and put that value over how many pounds we can lift. We need better patient ratios. Having increased patient assignments is a high-risk game that will not play out well over the long term. This has been a problem for years. Hospitals want to have as many patients admitted as possible because that's where the money comes from. Yet there isn't always enough nurses for the hospital's capacity. Instead of creating hard limits to the number of patients a nurse can take, we are simply being expected to accept more patients in our assignment. This is unsafe. It's unethical. Patients should be outraged that this is the standard in the healthcare field. Yet most patients have no idea that it's even going on. Let's look at this from the perspective of the medical surgical setting. The general idea is the same no matter the setting. It just changes what the numbers are and what those numbers really should be for the sake of patient safety. Consider it in the context of the amount of time spent with each patient. In a 12-hour shift, I am working 10 hours with those patients. Every shift includes a half-hour report time at the beginning and the end of the shift. I should be getting a half-hour lunch break along with two 15-minute breaks for a total of an hour worth of breaks. And this means that there are two hours in my 12-hour shift that I am not available to work uh, for my patients. You with me? 
So that means that with a five patient assignment, each patient can get two hours of my time. That's for everything that I do for that patient. This includes doing my charting, making phone calls on the patient's behalf, engaging with the family along with the, any of the direct patient care that I provide to each patient. The amount of time I actually spend with a patient providing direct care is usually about one hour per patient in this scenario. So if I have you as one of my five patients over a 12 hour shift, you can expect to see me in your room for a measly one hour that entire shift. That's the time that I use to assess your condition, to make sure that your status is stable. And my assessing your medical status is the single most important factor in you having a good outcome. If things start going badly for you and no one is there to assess you, then you're not gonna get the help that you need. This is the fact. Me being in my patient's room is what keeps my patients from dying. The time I spend with my patients drops quickly with each patient added. If I have six patients for that same 10 hours of work time, each patient gets 1.6 hours of my time. So about one and a half hours per shift. It will still take me about an hour for each patient to do the charting, prep the meds, for talking to other providers, engaging with family, and all that other stuff. This means that with the addition of just one patient, you will only see me in your room for half an hour instead of an hour. That's a big difference for the addition of just one patient. With with eight patients, I get 1.25 hours for each patient, and that reduces my patient engagement time to just 15 minutes. If I'm given 10 patients, there is literally no way that I can do all of the out of room things for you and actually see you once in that entire shift. Now, let's keep in mind that all those things that I do for my patient outside of their room are also important. I need time to safely prepare medications. I need time to talk to the pharmacist about the safe and proper way to hang an IV medication. I need time to be able to talk to the doctor to clarify orders and ask questions regarding the patient's care plan. I need time to talk to the family to keep them updated and to get important background information from them. All of these things that I do outside of the patient's room are also important tasks towards giving good health care to my patients. And we can't just ignore those tasks so that we can spend more time in our patient's rooms. Keeping the nurse to patient ratio low is what keeps our patients safe. This is the single most important thing that we can do in healthcare to prevent out adverse outcomes for our patients. Yet the alarming trend is that the patient ratios are going up. COVID has only made things worse. Hospitals are now using the culture of a crisis as a reason to increase this ratio, but we shouldn't be accepting this. But this isn't just about the patients getting good care, though I do feel that this is the most important reason to fight for low patient ratios. Keeping low patient ratios helps address all the other factors that we've talked about thus far. So low patient ratios is also about retaining nurses. If we think about it, this makes sense. Having more patients is only going to exacerbate the feeling that we're not getting paid enough. 
Having more patients exposes us to more emotional trauma during our shift. With each patient we care for, we are more likely to be caring for one that has a terminal illness, just received a difficult diagnosis, or is actively dying. Having more patients increases our risk for violence. The reality is that a patient is less likely to assault you if there is a witness. There is, is more likely to be a witness if there's a lower patient ratio. Having more patients clearly means that the nurse will also have more stress. Having more patients also increases our risk for injury. When we have more patients, it increases the chances that one of them is a fall risk or a total care. Both of those factors increase the chances that we will become injured when we are caring for that person. Having more patients also means that we are going to be doing more physical work, which leads to fatigue, which increases the risk for an injury. What all of this means is that if we are only going to do one thing to try to address the nursing shortage, it should be ensuring that our patient ratios remain low. We must keep healthcare in the perspective that it is not customer service. We need to stop treating healthcare like going to a bank or a grocery store. I do not take care of customers. I take care of patients. It is essential that we keep that at the center of what we do. There is no need to track customer service indicators in the setting of healthcare. All this does is create the false impression that these things matter when you are sick or dying. In context of healthcare, having to wait is always going to happen. Not getting everything you're asking for is going to happen. As a nurse, I can focus on giving good customer service or I can focus on giving good patient care. They rarely overlap. Good customer service means you get your pain medication when you ask for it. Good patient care means that I make sure that you never get enough medication to overdose you. And that often means that I make you wait for your next dose of pain medication. We have to ask what really matters in healthcare. Do you want everything right now? Or do you want everything to be right so that you don't die? Society needs to shift back to the idea that being in the hospital sucks because that's what's real and that's what's honest. We need to stop lying to our patients that we can provide a hotel-like visit. That's a lie. You're going to wait for your dinner tray because I'm in the middle of getting someone's life-saving medications. Your coffee will probably get cold while I'm making sure that your next dose of antibiotic is delivered from the pharmacy. I cannot put the priority on you having TV to watch or interesting books to read. I need to put my priority on things that will keep you alive. And that means that you will often have cold food and likely will be bored while you're in the hospital. But does that boredom and cold food matter much in the context that you didn't die? We need to stop expecting nurses to be putting their focus on how good a time the patient is having rather than how safe and healthy the patient is. I'm not sure what is driving this, but it isn't good for anyone. It's not good for the patients. Every moment that the staff is focused on how good of a time the patient is having is a moment that we aren't trying to keep you alive. It's not good for the healthcare workers because it only makes a job that's stressful that much more stressful. And it doesn't give the hospital more business. 
People aren't going to be looking up hospitals to see who's providing the best food and Wi-Fi when they're in the middle of having a heart attack. And then along came COVID. And while these things have been problems for the entire 20 years that I've been a nurse, there is no denying that the arrival of COVID has done nothing to make things worse. We cannot ignore the impact that COVID is having on the healthcare system and hope to have a sustainable system. The fact of the matter is that COVID is going to be present for years. As such, it will continue to have a significant impact on how we provide healthcare in this country. It is essential that we shift out of crisis management mode and shift into a long-term management plan. There's no such thing as a sustainable crisis management plan. We cannot sustain crisis management for a decade. Our system will just collapse. We must recognize that COVID is going to be like tackling the smoker's lung cancer as far as the medical field is concerned. And so how is COVID and smoker's lung cancer the same? Well, first, there's a clear way to prevent the disease. Two, people are refusing to make the social changes to prevent said disease. And three, those choices have an impact on the risk factors for disease for the people around them. So what does this mean in the context of COVID? Well, it means that COVID is going to remain in the top 10 causes of death in the USA for a while yet, probably for years. It means that the healthcare field will have to continue to provide education regarding the benefits of getting the COVID vaccines. It means that we need to make adjustments within the healthcare system to accommodate this lasting impact on our health resource usage. And it means that as individuals, we will need to decide how much masking and social distancing we're going to continue with over the long term. Because what is real is that COVID is not going to go away anytime soon. This is something that is going to be around for years, and we need to change our planning and management to that mindset. We as a country are unable to palette the political choices that it would take to make this a short-term problem. Thus, we need to switch to a long-term game. The really shitty healthcare management reality, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force them to drink. So now that our horses are choosing not to drink, what's next? We need to stop trying to figure out ways to force them to drink because medical history has proven that that's unachievable. Instead, we need to figure out how to make the system work in context of having a lot of thirsty horses. If we want to retain our nurses, we need to reinstate preventative medicine. We must get back on track with preventative medicine. Without preventative care, we will only see more and more chronic illness patients needing acute care resources. This puts an enormous strain on the healthcare system. 60% of American adults have a chronic illness, and that number is only increasing in light of long COVID. We cannot afford to ignore these health issues in favor of COVID any longer. Continuing to focus on new COVID cases rather than focusing on our chronic illness patients will lead to more acute cases in the long term. And we are already beginning to see this. We are already struggling to provide acute care services as it is. We cannot afford to have that number continue to increase because it goes back to that very all-sacred patient ratio. 
because as our acute cases rise, there's this demand to increase the patient ratio, which we just cannot accept as the answer to anything in our healthcare. We must consider COVID a long-term problem. We cannot continue to allocate our resources to COVID as if it were a short-term crisis. It is not. This is going to be around for years, and thus we need to accept that COVID deaths are going to be a part of our statistics for a while yet. That sucks, but there are limits to what we can prevent when the patients are not choosing to follow healthcare recommendations. That being said, we need to reevaluate our system management and our social recommendations in the context of COVID being around for another five years or maybe more. Clearly, in the context of COVID being a long-term problem, we cannot continue to maintain our system in a crisis state. So let's get about problem solving what's next so that we can retain our nurses for the long-term haul. And when we're talking about ways to retain nurses, frankly, it wouldn't hurt to add some tinsel. My thoughts on retaining nurses is that if you want to make nursing attractive, it really wouldn't hurt to throw some tinsel onto it. You know, some extra perks. Give us some reasons to stay working in this field rather than moving to something else. How about creating programs that pay off our college debt if we are actively working as nurses? And I mean government programs, not ones that the companies we work for can opt out of as soon as they feel that their profit margins are getting too thin. Make sure that we are getting good health care benefits so that we can maintain our own health so that we can stay healthy enough to continue working. Give us a good amount of, of vacation time because getting two weeks for the entire year is pretty pathetic when you're considering all the stress that's piled up on us. And giving us these regular breaks from all that stress would go a long way to making sure that we weren't burning out. Ensure that there is good work-life balance. Work with nurses so that they can spend time with their families. Right now, most of nurses are, are missing out on baseball games and family holidays. And this is especially true if they're working the night shift. So yeah, we're losing a lot of nurses in the healthcare field right now. And most of the conversation has been around increased pay. But I personally don't feel that that is the first thing that we need to address if we're really interested in retaining and recruiting new nurses. If we really want to make sure that we're retaining nurses and we're recruiting new nurses, there are much, much more important things that need to be addressed in the healthcare setting. We need to make sure that we're providing good emotional support to healthcare workers so that they aren't burning out. We need to protect our healthcare workers so that they are not being assaulted. We cannot accept the level of violence in the healthcare setting any longer. We need to reduce the amount of stress that's being put upon nurses on our shift to shift basis. We need to be mindful of the importance of the health of the individual nurse, and we need to do what we can to protect their backs and to accommodate the differences of the physical nature of each nurse so that we can maintain the older nurses in our workforce because their knowledge is important. But the single most important thing that we can do if we want to maintain our nurses is to maintain low patient ratios 
because this is the single factor that will address all the other factors to some degree. And on top of that, it will address the single most important thing to every nurse, and that is good quality patient care. We need to be mindful that healthcare is not a customer service area. And we need to know that COVID is having an impact on the way that nurses are stressed and in the way that nurses are burning out. But we need to recognize that these are not new problems. We need to address COVID and the impact that it's having in our healthcare system so that that impact doesn't accumulate into even more nurses leaving the field. So yeah, we're losing a lot of nurses. But there are a lot of things that can be done to make nurses stay. 